I think, I guess, from the book, he talks about how that's the one that most of us have the, the most often. But more than the judge, I guess I have a very high pleaser in me and then second only to hyperachiever and avoider. Um, and th- those are definitely all of the ones that rear their heads throughout, even still every day, probably, of, of me going through work situations. Because there's so many different things that can trigger you to feel those ways because you've been trained to feel those ways. Hi, everyone. It's Marcy Bullock. Welcome back to season three of Wolfpack Career Chats, the anchor season. A, ambition. N, networking. C, compassion. H, health, both mental and physical. O, organization and are resilient. Enjoy the pod. Hello, this is Marcy Bullock with Wolfpack Career Chats and all the way from Germany. Welcome, Shruti Mohan. Thanks, Marcy. Nice to be here. It's so great to be here. We're doing this with a time difference, right? So it's 10.15 on the East Coast. What time is it for you? It's 4.15 p.m. for me or 4.20 yeah, just just getting ready to wind down your day there. What's going on in Germany? We're all curious because we're in the East Coast here and dealing with all the things happening with the end of the pandemic. Are things still mm-hmm. wild out there or what? Um, things are getting closer back to normal. I think Germany has been really quite conservative with uh, the handling of the situation. And um, you're still going into like cinemas and Bars and stuff are open again now, but everything is on a very limited basis. I'd say that here it still feels like we're a while away from being completely out of the pandemic, but getting closer. We feel that way too. We're we're hopeful that we're getting closer. We're actually eligible for booster shots now. So there's lots of excitement about um, moving out of the the stage of being having to distance and having to, mm-hmm. you know, not not be allowed to be together because we're humans and we want to be together. Yeah. So I'm glad we can be together at least through the magic of Zoom today. We met okay. years, years ago. My goodness, time has flown by. When you were an undergraduate student at NC State, gosh, 2014, and you were studying environmental science, focusing on chemical engineering, economics, and business, all kinds of interesting things that you studied. Will you share with our listeners a little bit about your career journey as you graduated and where you led to today? Yeah, sure. So I I have to say I had a rough start in college because... Or maybe the other way around. I had a accelerated start in college because I came in with so many AP credits that I got to go straight into chemical engineering 201, which seemed good at the time. But then I realized I didn't have the, the emotional or college readiness maturity levels to match the classes I was in. And um, that's why I have so many different top majors that you just listed, majors and minors combined, because I didn't know which direction I wanted to go. And actually, I remember when I was taking your course, that's why it was so good, because it was one of the few chances that we had in college to kind of reflect on what we were doing and why we wanted to do what we were doing, had we even never considered it, really thought about it. Um, Because for me, even deciding my original major of chemical engineering was just because I was told, if you like physics, math, and chemistry, and you're decent at those, then that's the major for you. 
And little did I know all of the other possibilities that existed. But um, the my first internship that I got through the NC State Career Fair at Cisco as a data analyst was a pivotal moment for that, I guess, because I went in a completely different career direction as the one that I was studying in university. And that was an issue that, that ended up changing the direction of the rest of my next 10 years. So Cisco Data Analyst led to the time around the, specifically around the time that Hadoop and big data was taking off meant that I then got recruited by SAS, which is a great place to work right out of college. My studies, to be very honest, my studies and what I was doing or my first job had pretty much nothing to do with each other. But that's actually one of the topics that I feel like we also talked about in your class uh, about how that's more of the other skills that we learn about and build on. And once you get those initial years of actual real world work experience under your belt, then everything else becomes possible. And I realized I really enjoyed pre-sales, which definitely in college didn't even know was a field of work that I could have considered. And I just happened to fall into that. And I first even remember being like, I don't want to work in sales. That's not that's not what engineering students do. And then realizing that it was really enjoyable and a good balance for me between desk work and customer interaction. And uh, that's what I've been doing since. That is a very interesting story. And I remember when you were not sure about your career direction as an undergraduate, and you're certainly not the first person that has struggled in the engineering. Uh, those are very challenging classes. And sometimes people at the time think, does this mean I won't succeed in my field, in my profession? But taking the pressure valve is off is so important. Did you ever have any idea that you'd be in another country now doing the kind of work you are when you were studying? No, absolutely not. I just don't think I would have ever dreamed that I was being living in Germany working in pre-sales when I was an undergrad still. And I remember you wanting to make that happen and really taking some intentional steps saying, you know, I don't necessarily feel like I need to be staying in Raleigh. I want to experience something else new and exciting in the world. How did the opportunity to go abroad make itself available to you? I think the opportunity to go abroad always existed, especially because I had by then uh, two years under my belt working at SAS. And that was then the foundational tech skills or experience that I think that allowed me to really consider going anywhere in the world. And the reason that I then moved to Germany was because I had met a German guy back around that same time or 2014, right after I graduated college. And after having done long distance for a while, I decided that it would be easier for me to move rather than for him to do his education at a costly international student rate in America. That's why I then moved to Germany specifically. And I initially quit my job at SAS. I thought maybe I would go back now and do a master's in something that I had studied in one of my four different topic areas from undergrad and uh, pursue that in Germany because college education was free for everyone. So quitting I quit my job, moved to Germany, and then I just first of all learned German because that was I was told that if I wanted to go back and even consider doing a master's, that would be a requisite because the courses would be taught in German, your textbooks, et cetera, would be in German. And then once I had done that program and added that to 
to my LinkedIn, then it, I, I just got a couple of recruitment calls for tech opportunities in the same space that I had worked in, similar to what I was doing at SAS. And um just thought about it and decided that I didn't maybe necessarily have to go back and do my master's at that time and was open to working again. And that's what I mean with that opportunity probably always existed for me to have done this in Germany, but I wouldn't have done that except for the personal situation that I was in. Very good. Very good. And now you mentioned that you're going to be moving to the UK. So what has brought on this change? I'm moving to the UK just because I said I wanted to. Actually, this one is a lot more whimsical in nature. And after having done four years in Germany, I just wanted to kind of stay in Europe, but go experience a another European country where they also had, I feel like there, I'm expecting at least, and this is also my understanding based off of a couple of experiences so far, that um, they are somewhere between America and European countries in terms of the culture. And of course, the language is the same. So I wanted a little bit more of home without having to come back to home. I see. Very nice. You have made life quite an adventure. And I always tell students, your 20s are called your trying 20s. So try things. And there you are. What about this idea of working in sales? You mentioned you never really thought you would because you were really good at the sciences. You were good at physics and math and everyone's like, be an engineer. And now here you are in what you called pre-sale. Would you share a little bit about what that means and why it's a good fit for the personality and competencies that you bring to the workforce? Yeah. So pre-sales is, I realized while doing it, is basically, um, especially in big tech industries, it's hard for the one single salesperson to maintain the communication with all potential customers and to do the contract negotiations, the legal bits, all of that, and have a very deep understanding of the technology that they're selling because the, the tech parts is now so broad and so deep and it's hard for them to be able to manage that. Even me as a pre-sales person, who's, that, that's my primary responsibility. It's hard to stay abreast of all of the, the depth and breadth of everything that's possible in the big data analytics world, because it is huge. We service pretty much every single industry out there. And data is something that is an abstraction layer over all of these different fields. And it's not just something that exists in pharmaceuticals or banking customers, et cetera. It's something that goes above and beyond all of them. And so that's what people in pre-sales roles do. They support primarily their first job is to support their salesperson, make a sale with the customer and support the customer's business outcomes, whatever they may be. Because depending on the industry that we're dealing with, it might be preventing credit card fraud. Or it might be something like, I remember um, I worked in SAS in healthcare and life sciences. That was a lot of times working with hospital systems, how they could improve uh, care in the emergency room or potentially even figuring out how to come up with a drug faster due to quicker modeling times and all of that. And as a pre-sales person, especially when you're at a bigger company and you have the chance to specialize in a role, then you have a chance to get intimately to, to try and intimately understand what the customer is trying to accomplish and helping them figure out which of the tools that your company is selling is going to be a good match for that. Very nice. And so when you describe that, it sounds a lot less like 
I guess a stereotypical, I'm going to just be selling some used car, but it's more educating people and developing connections and explaining complicated tasks, which I know you're, you're very good at. So it sounds like a great fit. Recently, you came across a concept that is called positive intelligence that I would love to have you define for our listeners and say how it's impacted your work and personal life. Yeah, so I think I feel like I've been telling all of my friends about this every chance I get. I'm staying over at a friend's right now, and I was just telling her about it this morning. And so I think of it as simplest, the simplest form. You have, you can, there's cartoons where we have like the devil and the angel on our shoulders. And in the Positive Intelligence book, the author basically breaks these down into all of the various personas of devils or manifestations of the devil and all of the different manifestations of the angel. And um, I remember when I first took the positive intelligence quiz, uh, it gives you a rating on all of your biggest saboteurs, which are the manifestations of the, the devil on your shoulder. And it was blew my mind because of how accurate it was. And it's all of the things on the saboteur side that are self-defeating, like making an own, own goal type of a exercise when you go through a thought pattern or take actions that are influenced by these saboteurs. And um, it came to me because I get this really awesome leadership coaching from work. And my leadership coach is the one that recommended this book to me and considering what my saboteurs might be. And um, once I was able to start identifying those thought patterns that weren't serving me and uh, especially when I started to differentiate those thought patterns from my own self and recognize that they are not who I am, but a thought that I'm having, I was able to interrupt that thought process or intercept it and think about whether I really wanted to continue down that route, where was that thinking coming from and how could I then change it into, which you also mentioned earlier, I think with the sage powers which are all of the beneficial ways you can approach a challenging situation and see it in a better and more positive light. What a great description of this. And I also have read the book. So you and I, I think we'll geek out a little bit on this topic. So how did it impact you in your work life? You said your supervisor in leadership gave this to you. What was your thought process before you understood how to identify the devil on your shoulder and how does it now impact results that you have in your life in work after? I think that I'm still seeing the benefits of it because it's been a process of maybe four months ago now, I would say that I discovered it. And I'd say before I'd have lots of times of frustration and not knowing necessarily what the best approach would be to do in a situation that was above or beyond what I was familiar with and therefore new and challenging and knowing or having learned these positive intelligence skills I think the difference is I can look at that and try to determine whether the challenge for that I'm perceiving in the situation comes from a, a type of fear that I have inherently in the situation itself and what are the ways that I can tackle it from one of the stage power ways that makes sense. Yeah, very good. Very good. We'll link up to the quiz in our show notes. So listeners can also find out what the accomplice saboteurs to our judge are. And I like how you describe this 
this devil on your shoulder. And I think of it as an inner critic. When you have that in your life, it really can bring you down. And I've often thought, I'd rather have a cheerleader in my life. I'd rather be living with an internal thought that is pumping me up and telling me, yes, you can do this, not you will fail. So which of the saboteurs do you find rearing their ugly head in your life? Oh, I think definitely um, the judge. Uh, I, I think, I guess, from the book, he talks about how that's the one that most of us have the, the most often. But more than the judge, I guess I have a very high pleaser in me and then second only to hyperachiever and avoider. Um, and th- those are definitely all the ones that wear their heads throughout, even still every day, probably, of, of me going through work situations. Because there's so many different things that can trigger you to feel those ways because you've been trained to feel those ways. Very, very true. And I'm working with a group of women this semester that I'm teaching who have all taken the quiz. And it's interesting. A lot of them got pleaser. Tell us an example of a time when you you saw yourself that pleaser coming into play. You identified it and switched gears. I think this this is what I mean when it happens multiple times a day, even still, because there's meetings that show up on your calendar that you don't necessarily feel like you can attend. I even had one where I had an overlapping meeting today. I didn't feel like the second invite was at all necessary for me to join, but I joined the meeting anyways or switched my whole calendar up in order to accommodate that meeting that I didn't even originally see as necessary. And that comes from a motivation that I can only think of as tracing back to the pleaser. It happens so often. And now you're saying it. And maybe in the future, you'll say, no, I'm not able to attend that meeting. I know for me, I had the the controller as a very high part of my life. And I realized I can't control other people. I can't control external circumstances. And so just being able to let go of that is pretty freeing. Agreed. And I think that for me, at least, I don't know how it is for you. I'm curious to hear the first bit is always figuring out what's going on in my head to try and change that process. It is. It's figuring that out. And to me, I think about it like the hot stove, as the author Shirzad Shamin shares, when we have our hand on the hot stove, it's really painful. So I'd rather take my hand off and enjoy more of my life. Does that resonate with you? A little bit, I guess. I think because sometimes for me, I don't even realize that my hand is on the hot stuff because I'm so distracted by the pleasing or achieving or avoiding that I'm trying to do that I, that, 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 that I remember reading that part in the book and just thinking that I understand how that would work for most people, but how strong my saboteurs must be for me to not even recognize that hot hand on the stuff because my head is somewhere else entirely. Well, you're in the process of doing the work. I I love it. And also there is this notion of doing a PQ rep. What does that mean to you? And how has that helped you? Yeah. And I, I, I remember one of his first things that he talked about in the book was that he would acquire all of the people that he coached to do some, at least a minimum of 30 PQ reps a day, whatever form that was in. And one of the first forms that he suggested for that was meditation. And I, I, I like that. I've been trying to do that before anyway. So I do at least 10 minutes meditation a day, whether I'm just sitting in the train like this morning or whether I'm sitting at home or just drinking my tea. I, that's, that's one of the ways in which 
I try to focus on just one thing without letting my thoughts go in a thousand different places at the same time. And I love eating. So I always try to do my PQ reps when, um, when eating too. And it just, what I think of as PQ reps is to just be conscious of one thing at a time and really taking it all in with all of your senses. So food, smelling, tasting, feeling the texture. Um, hearing and absorbing the experience in full sensory capacity. Agree. And one of my saboteurs is restless. So I do find myself often thinking what's about to happen and being in that present moment. You and I just discovered this a few months ago. So we're still doing our PQ or what he calls positive intelligent quotient reps. So hopefully in a few months, we're going to see some big results, just like when you go to the gym and you start lifting weights. You don't see the results in a few weeks, but after a few months, all of a sudden you start seeing your muscle tone. Have you started to see some positive changes in your life, Shruti? I think definitely. Um, I think I'm just a lot happier and maybe also calmer because every time I'm in a situation that I don't, I have to say I don't panic that much, but even when I feel myself getting slightly panicked, I can instead of kind of suppressing that feeling, I can just refer back to where the inner stage is and have her perspective uh, in, in, in that situation that's not suppressing any emotions or feelings, but rather uh, absorbing them and accepting them and still regardless being able to deal with them in a really positive way. So I feel myself definitely being a lot happier and calmer and chilled out about stuff. I'm so glad to hear that. And thank you for sharing how this impacted your life in such a positive way. I know our listeners will get a lot of benefit from this as well. We're going to move to our last question. Now we're going to get in our time machine and go 20 years into the future. Your older, wiser self has just come for a visit. They've been doing PQ reps now for 20 years, so they're super zen. Coming back to tell Shruti Mohan of today what she needs to hear. What do they say to you? I was thinking, we started this conversation about, could I have imagined back when I was doing my undergrad that this is where I would be living and this is what I'd be doing back then. And I could have absolutely not imagined that situation whatsoever. So I can only imagine what another two decades would look like from now. But um, if I, I'd expect that if I especially, I feel like it's been such a blessing that I got to hear about the whole positive intelligence stuff. So early on, and if I get 20 more years to work on and practice on these PQ reps and intercept negative thought patterns and replace them with positive ones, I expect that my future self might tell my current self that even those lesser and fewer concerns that I have right now, I can just forget about them because everything will play itself out in a very natural and positive way as long as I continue to try and focus on my own inner positivity. Thank you, Shruti. Thank you, Marcy. This is really fun. 